Welcome to the show. You are now part of the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people success, deal success, and strategy success. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals, and they share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. So Sheena, we are taking the podcast on tour. Well, not the podcast, but the podcast hosts are going on tour. Care to elaborate? Yeah, we are pumped. We're actually taking Celebrate, which was our annual event in October in San Francisco. We're going to be taking that show on the road to four cities in February. So if you are in the New York, Boston, Chicago, or Toronto areas in February, mid-Feb, please check out our website and register to attend. Uh, The website is celebrate.gong.io. And there's going to be tons of great sales leaders. So many good leaders. Yeah, like the folks that you hear on Reveal, folks just like that are going to be on panels. We'll have our executives, like our CEO, Amit, giving a keynote, interactive workshops. like tons of. I've got a little keynote going on in there. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) I was saving the best for last. So... (laughs) Uh, you don't want to miss it. So again, celebrate.gong.io. Don't miss uh, Celebrate on Tour. So Sheena, we just got done talking to Angelique Slagle, the RVP of sales at SAP. What did you think? Oh, she's definitely a boss lady. Uh, her boss. Ex- yeah, her experience working with like super complex industries and complex deals Mm -hmm. Uh, but having brought brought her experience from working on the commercial side of things to these regulated industries which you'll hear about I thought was really fascinating it was it was awesome Uh, and we got connected through a friend who when we first launched the podcast you know a couple months ago I sent a a text blast and I was like hey you know check this out you know like and review and and uh, my friend Jessica texted me on the side and she was like if you don't meet with Angelique you know you're, you're really missing out and so I'm really glad we brought her in here she had a really cool point too, not just about deal success, which there's a ton of stuff in here, uh, you know, tips and stuff to pick up, but kind of around, you know, people success. And she had an interesting point around like mentorship versus sponsorship. Yeah, I, she's a real a strong proponent of how can we bring more women into leadership roles and how can she as an individual contribute to that and contribute yeah. to shaping what our leadership profile looks like. So I, I thought that was terrific. She had a, uh, you know, she sent an interesting curveball that they have in their sales process. Uh, If you're interested in what that is for your complex or enterprise sales, definitely listen in. It's about the halfway mark. And at the end, she shared how she would build her perfect sales rep from scratch, which I thought was interesting. There was a lot of uh, of talk about grit and a few other things. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you're hiring and looking for some skills to put on the uh, uh, job description, she's got you covered. And if you're brushing up your resume for a new gig, also has you covered. <laughs> exactly. Let's jump into the interview. Hey, Angelique, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So we'd love to start with understanding how our guests start their day. I'm always really interested in the morning routines of, of really successful people. So I'm curious, do you have a morning routine that you stick to? I don't. I don't. <laughs> um, I wish I did. Uh, and maybe that's why I'm not as successful as I would like to be <laughs> because I don't have one. <laughs> but 
Um, no, but you actually caught me in the middle of a seven day juice fast, which has been really interesting. So my mornings for this week, at least have started out, uh, with lemon water, um, and meditation. Wow. Very Zen of you. How's it working out so far? (laughs) I'm hungry. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I've been picking up meditation. I think we're on about day seven for my morning routine is something I added, but there's literally no chance that lemon water will ever make my breakfast menu. Um, We can save that for another day. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I have found though, is that I have such an emotional connection to food. And so Mm -hmm. at least that's been very awakening for me in these days. I'm in day four. Um, is that, you know, food is more about comfort than energy or anything for me. So that's been good. Yeah. I can feel that. Well, a little more into, you know, the business side of things, your title is RVP of sales at SAP. Can you expand a little bit on, you know, what exactly that means and what you're working on? Yes. So I'm a a second line sales manager with an SAP. And so I run a particular line of business. In this case, it's uh, human capital management for a specific vertical, which is regulated industries. So the industries that my team and I cover are federal government, aerospace and defense, state and local government, higher education, utilities and healthcare. Uh, Last year, we also covered financial services, but SAP made a decision at the end of last year to move financial services back into a more geographical and regional model. So, So they're no longer part of my team. And then I have vice presidents that run those specific industries that I mentioned, Mm -hmm. and then the AEs report into them. Fantastic. How many sales reps do you have reporting to you? 35. Wow. Nice. So rules. And we're a national team. Very cool. What are you guys working on? I mean, we're just starting 2020 at the time of this uh, recording this podcast. What are you guys working on right now? What's top of mind for you? Well, I joined about nine months ago. And um, at that time, it was it was all about morale and building a winning culture. A lot of people were looking for opportunities outside of SAP um, or outside of our team or that line of business. And so that was kind of the way we wanted to focus or I wanted to focus in 2019. Um And, you know, to build a happy team, to build a a high performance culture, uh, which I'm, you know, proud to say that we we actually accomplished that. We had many uh, VPs and AEs in my team that were VP of the region or that for the quarter, um, AEs of the quarter nationally across their peers. Um, And then we will end, we ended Q4 as um, a region of, of the quarter. Uh, and we might actually be region of the year. We'll find out next week at our field kickoff uh, in Las Vegas. Um, Yeah, so so that was great, right, walking away from that. But what I found was that some fundamentals or what I call the basics – we're not consistent across those teams. So, so our theme for 2020 is back to basics and plan for growth, right? Um, what that means is we're focused on selling results and not features. So building our Mm -hmm. solution acumen, looking at their business or territory as a CEO and as a franchise. So that's all around operational excellence, communicate like a boss. So, you know, how do you have executive presence? How do you uh, collaborate with people and the art of persuasion? Um, And then go big and go home, which is, you know, how do we really think strategic and use the ecosystem that's around us to really nail our quotas for for 2020? 
Well, those are some taglines I can definitely get behind. And uh, <laughs> you might need a new shelf for all the accolades and awards that you, you've earned so quickly. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. We're really proud um, of the team and the effort. So we're looking forward to celebrating next week. And you've been at SAP for about eight years, right? And, and that's pretty yes. rare to see a tenure that long. What's what's kept you there? I would have to say the people. Um, it never ceases to amaze me when I'm in a meeting or on a call and someone's speaking and I'm thinking to myself, wow, that was really smart. Like, I, I couldn't have thought of that. Um, and so because I'm always around people that to me um, have so much to bring to the table that can enhance my skills or put me in a position to grow is, is one of the reasons that I've always enjoyed working here. And it's also a very sales culture and, and being a salesperson, I've had other stints where I've worked at companies where more product focused. And so the engineers were kind of king. Um, and, uh, you know, that was definitely not maybe the best environment for me. And so being that SAP is very sales customer centric first, even before we're product is one of the reasons. And then I would say the last is being a woman of color, SAP has made a lot of great strides in diversity, but there's still room for growth. And so what I like is the fact that as I continue to grow in my career, I feel personally that I'm paving the way for other women like me um, that look like me uh, to be able to have similar positions in the company. And so I don't think that work is done yet. So I'm going to stick around for a while. I love that you brought that up. I was actually going through some of your tweets and a couple months ago you posted this, which I'll read out now. Now it's important to me to not only mentor, but sponsor people in and out of my company. It will be one of the only factors that will end disparity of women in leadership. I'd love to get a little bit of um, your thoughts on like that mentorship versus sponsorship and how are you making that a, a real thing in, in your day to day? Yes, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I'm big on diversity of thought and, and diversity, just not only by gender and, uh, you know, what are the different measures, but also diversity in thinking. And uh, so I have a lot of people that will come up to me or that through interaction with me will ask me to mentor them or may have mentored me that I will ask to mentor me. Um, and you know, to me, that's, um, you know, we meet once a month, we meet once a quarter. I talk about what I'm working on. I might have, you know, some questions for that mentor or they have some for me. Um, but really you're not accountable or responsible for that person's career growth and development. Mm -hmm. Whereas sponsorship to me is where you actually are taking some accountability and responsibility for them. And so it's really for me how my career has grown right from from when I worked at IBM uh, to, to Microsoft to even here at SAP there's been someone who interacted with me and decided that you know I'm gonna help uh, introduce or connect her in the right place and especially I think that's important for women uh, we we just know based on all the research and and, and just uh, you know being women and men in a corporate environment that women tend to not raise their hand for opportunities and especially in male-dominated fields like tech and, and sales software sales and sponsors can kind of help you move your career forward and in a safe way, right? Um, that they encourage you to do it. And I know at SAP, for me, I had many sponsors and, and they just happened to be men. Mm -hmm. uh, most of all my sponsors um, 
to date. And they would say to me, like, you're ready. And even if you think you're not ready and you're 50% ready, no one is ever really a hundred percent ready for that role, go for it. Or they've introduced me to the right person. I remember like maybe two years into working at SAP, I was at one of a, a golf event and as a general manager for the region of the South, um, he went up to one of the board members that was there and he said, you need to know Angelique, she's going to, she should run this company one day. Now, I mean, That's he's awesome. joking, right? Um, he's joking, but really that sponsorship, right? Like that's not just, right. oh, Angelique doing great, uh, but that's, I'm going to actually put your name in, in a pool. I'm going to let people know who you are and I'm going to use small to large opportunities to do that. And so that's something that I'm very focused on um, with my team, asking them, you know, not only are you mentoring, but who are you sponsoring? And then I'm trying to do do the same. Yeah, I think that's amazing. I think a lot of times, like, as an individual contributor or as an individual yourself, you're so much harder on yourself and you're very focused on what you're doing in the day-to-day, whereas people that you're working with or collaborating with, they can see, like, those untapped skills or they see what you're capable of doing that you may not yourself. And that's really right. where that role of those sponsor can come in and something that I think we should all take ownership of and determine who we can help and sponsor in our own organizations. Absolutely. Right, Yes. Agree. In every episode, we have a data breakout or a quick sidebar to look at the data. Angelique has a clear focus on supporting women and diversity more broadly in sales. It's certainly a cause I stand behind and support as a minority female in tech. But exactly how one-sided is the gender makeup in sales? According to research by LinkedIn, the percentage of women in sales is 39%, up from 36% about 10 years ago. That isn't terrible. You know, on first glance, it's actually up. But looking closer at the data, the percent of women in sales decreases significantly as seniority increases. So while women make up 47% of entry-level sales positions, they only make up about 20% of VP and CXO titles. This is exactly where the role of sponsors comes in, as Angelique discusses. We're not only responsible for getting women into traditionally male-dominated fields like sales and tech, but we also have a responsibility to help them advance in their fields. Now, regarding minorities in tech, the picture is just as bleak. According to Tech Republic, more than 50% of employees at tech giants Apple and Google are still white. And this mirrors the industry trends at large. In actuality, 67% of job seekers say that working for a diverse team is a very important factor for them when they decide to join a company. So what are the benefits of a diverse team? There's literally no downside from increased creativity of thought to revenue improvements to a larger talent pool and much, much more. There is tons of research on the benefits of diversity. Step one is raising awareness, and I sincerely hope you'll consider how your hiring process and criteria impact your ability to hire and build a diverse workforce. So switching gears a little bit, revenue intelligence uh, is, you know, kind of the the area and field that we are uh, advocating and promoting, which is all about making business decisions based on data, not based on opinions. I'd love to know how data plays a role for you as you lead your team. This is a great question. Um, You know, in sales, there is such an emotional and human side of the business. But for me, 
you know, I believe you have to lead with the facts, right? Um, and that's where you'll see a dramatic shift. And I remember, you know, kind of growing up in the ranks and a sales leader told me that when you are an individual contributor, you, you, you're shifting something at one piece at a time, right? It might just be one person. But when you are a leader, you potentially are shifting an entire market, an industry, you know, a whole collective. And so you can't let your gut only drive you, right? That you can use your gut to make decisions, but it has to be based with the right facts in front of you. So a lot of times I'm always talking to my team about what are the facts or the the data actually showing us and digging in. We had a a leadership uh, meeting with my boss and um, the the leaders, uh, the other RVPs for North America. And that's one of our focus areas as a leadership team for 2020 is how can we be more data driven and, and lead sales strategies based on data and not just our gut feel. Was there anything that you're able to share with the group here on some of the tactics that the leadership team came up with on how they can drive that new data-driven approach? Well, we haven't figured it out yet. (laughs) Um, So it was kind of the initial discussion around, you know, one, do we agree with that thought process and then how do we do it? But when it became really clear for me was last year, um, we, we started an analysis around the Fortune 500 and it kind of came out, one of our competitors said they're in their earnings that they are going after Fortune 500 and they're going to close the gap and SAP being who they are, right? It's just like we kind of nonchalantly were like, oh yeah, we are in every Fortune 500 mm-hmm. and, you know, in some capacity. And so we're kind of, you know, I, I kind of was like, okay, I'm busy. I think it was like Q3. Like, I'm kind of busy with you three. We'll come back to that. But then the analysis was done and it actually shocked me because the analysis was that, you know, how many fortune 500 customers um, had SAP footprint, right? Which logically a lot, but then it went down to the line of business that we, we, um, we cover, which is success factors or HCM. And it was, you know, how many fortune 500 are existing uh, customers how, and, and what are they like small footprint, full suite, how many had we lost in the last three years that had started to move to our competitors in a small, either a small or large way, complete move away? And how many were even unassigned? So we have thousands of accounts uh, in regulated industry. And so we try to keep a, a certain density model. And it was really shocking to see how many were unassigned, how many had been lost or were in the the path of being lost, uh, how many that were only a very small footprint of our products uh, from an HCM perspective. So that opens the door for a lot of white space. And why that was so interesting to me is because at Q3, we knew, I knew across the RI business that we were going to have a good year, right? We were projecting, we had really solid deals and we were doing that. So we were growing and achieving quota without even these customers really as a focus. And I thought we're missing the mark, right? Mm-hmm. Cause one, we could wake up three years from now and have very little footprint in fortune 500. Sure, right? Sure. Um, and that'd be huge, right. For us from a shareholder value and just competitiveness. Um, but then it's all this white space, right? Because of course the fortune 500 spend more or, or larger in scale, so it just really showed to me how we were really missing the mark on using data to drive how we achieve our quota or just even our strategy on how we attack 
the market. And obviously our comp- competition had looked at that and thought about it. Mm-hmm. That's the reason that they decided to, you know, uh, make a stake in the ground to say they were attacking fortune 500. So that's just one example. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. I mean, there is definitely an overabundance of data, but you can kind of get data to tell you the story that you want. So unless you're asking the right questions and peeling the onion and getting down to the drivers of what's leaving, leading to some of the top line, you know, shiny metrics, like there could be a completely different story under the hood, which is, which sounds like a little bit of what you were able to uncover through that analysis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd love to understand what um, unanswered questions that you and your team are currently trying to solve. And there may be a role for data in some of that, but maybe similar to like the analysis that you just walked us through. Is there something that's top of mind for you today? Yes. Um, I mean, I have a lot of things, but um, what keeps me up at night the most is the, the competition has two to five times the amount of Salesforce on the street. And I'm trying to understand, you know, what is the right density model? What's the right way to work smarter and not harder? And is that bodies on the street? And also we're part of one of the greatest digital ages. And I feel like we're not leveraging it as much as we could. Um, I launched a survey out to my team right at the end of the year and talked about digital selling and just, you know, When I started selling in 1999, we sell exactly the same in 2020. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, we we uh, take proposals the same. We do demos the same. You know, pretty much it's the same. Uh, I mean, we'll sprinkle in video and other things, but it's still not where it should be, in my opinion. And so that's one where I'm trying to just think through, you know, how do we work smarter and how do we leverage all this technology that we have, keeping in mind that we still are a relationship sale, right? There's still that relationship side of it, but there's also a volume and and there could be a digital selling side. So that's something that I'm thinking about constantly. You mentioned um, a little bit earlier, but your team covers you know quite a bit, which is you know federal accounts, aerospace and defense, state and local higher education, utilities and healthcare. What are some of the unique challenges selling into these complex organizations? Well, it's interesting because I joined uh, regulated just in this past year, and so before that, my entire career was on the commercial side, so not being in regulated. And I have to say, I'm very, very impressed with that team and just how they manage because a lot of what they manage is process, right? There is an RFP process. There's contractual vehicles that you are that you have to use. You know, sometimes they cannot help but have to go through a very lengthy sourcing process just because of state guidelines um, or just federal guidelines. And so the their ability to be able to collaborate, build relationships and value outside of that procurement process um, is, is, a, is a challenge, but one that I've just been really impressed with how uh, my team is able to do that And then, you know, one of the things that we have to constantly think about is the, um, especially around human capital management, is the impact of what we're doing to the constituents or the residents of a particular state. Um, So at times we are working with them where they might have uh, a large population of individuals that are doing back office functions. And by selling our software, we're automating that process that might mean the elimination of jobs. 
And oh, wow. that's not a good thing in the yeah. state or local uh, government or federal government. And so we have to be part of the solution around uh, reskilling and, and re, uh, retraining those individuals. Um, and so there's some complexity around that. There's, there's constantly things that change within um, budget. Every time there's a government shutdown or other things that impacts our projects at any point. How do you um, enable your team to be agile and innovative, even though there are so many guardrails and barriers in these sectors? Yes. Oh, (laughs) so (laughs) that's a good one. Um, And one of the things that I have encouraged the team to do is more deal reviews or strategy sessions with a broader set of individuals. And the reason I say that is because when you've been in regulated for a very long time, you have a certain playbook um, that you've been used to using. And so what I've encouraged the team is we do more reviews with a larger, broader, I would call it kind of like not account planning, but deal strategy calls with a broader group of people within the team that support them. And the reason is because if you have that playbook, you're used to doing things a certain way. And so you may not be as agile, you may not come with creative ideas. Um, but when you bring it to a collective group, that's how you can kind of leverage the, the power of the other individuals that are part of your team. And since we've been doing that, it's really helped us in thinking outside the box and me coming from commercial, I don't have any of those stigmas or guardrails, right? I'm just thinking, you know, how would I do it if I was working with Walmart, right? So, and I try to attack it the same way. And so that's kind of helped in that we've collaborated together to bring those ideas, but still at the same time, respecting the process, right? And that's the good news is that we have a mix of team. You know, we have people 20 years in that space, so they know it really well and they know what to get around. And then we have people that are like myself that have been in commercial. And so we bring some new ideas. Are there any other folks, um, maybe someone from enablement, someone from, I don't even know, sales dev, just maybe some kind of like less uh, expected personas that maybe help with these? Yes, absolutely. So we have the, uh, we have solution advisors that are somewhere in between salespeople and product management. And, and their, their role is a couple of different things. I mean, one, they help set the commercial terms for a product before it hits uh, GA. Uh, but then they're also kind of keeping pace with the market. Uh, but they're also to listen and be an advocate for sales in terms of what our customers want. They are a great sounding board because one, they typically know a lot about the competition in a particular area and where they're winning or losing and you know so they can always kind of help there they also really know the product and where we're going and so especially in cloud you know it's it's a journey right and so it's about that customer renewing every time they're you know, their contract ends, right? Not just the quick sale here. So they've always been really great to help. It's interesting. Legal is another very valuable resource that we use a lot in regulated. So we use legal because being in regulated, you wouldn't imagine that there's a lot of times legal can stop a deal from happening. Um, And so we, we do a lot through contractual vehicles. They're really complex. And so bringing legal sometimes 
in to kind of think through some of these areas as we're strategizing has been really helpful. Uh, We use our pre-sales team and then we have our uh, HR value advisors and those are people that are really focused on the ROI. The great thing about SAP is there are millions of resources at your disposal. The bad thing is there's millions of resources at your disposal. So when to use them, when to not listen to them is like, you know, that's the balancing act. I I can tell people success is something that you really take to heart. How would you describe your coaching style? I I imagine reps on your sales uh, and your team are a little bit more on the senior side. So the way that you coach them is probably different than, you know, some of the more green reps uh, and smaller, you know, selling to smaller accounts. So I'm curious, just kind of, you know, how would you describe your coaching style? Yes, uh, I have a varying age and experience team, but um, I have quite a few that are senior. And so I think it doesn't take people long working for me (laughs) that I am a high expectations leader, but I like to think logical, empathetic. And, you know, what I think about it around empathetic is that Um, I really try to put myself in um, their shoes. I try to see things from their perspective. And so what most people will say from teams that have worked with me is that I'm very transparent and I give a lot of straight talk. So you can kind of trust there's no BS uh, with me um, that I will kind of let you know and guide you through an event or whatever's happening. And one of those things about high expectation is though, that is that I will jump in and help you. So, and that's, you know, being part of deals is really where my passion is. And so the farther you move up, the the less you're actually in deals every day. And so I've shown a lot with the AEs that they can really trust me because I will dig in. Like during Q4, there was probably no hour or time that the teams could not reach out to me, text me, call me, and I would really jump in and try to assist them in any way I could. And I'm sure they love you for that as well. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> the smart ones. <laughs> yes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> kind of on the on the flip side of this, if you could create the perfect sales rep to match some of the expectations in your style, what skills would they uh, have? This is like a million dollar question, right? <laughs> <laughs> if I could do that, wow. <laughs> so this, it's hard, it's hard. But um, I guess the first is resilience and grit. I tell people like that want to get into sales. I've had the pleasure of talking to our interns and we have kind of an early talent um, group and I've had a chance to talk to them and I'm always like, you know, sales is about resiliency and rejection, being able to not take it personal and kind of pick yourself back up. And then as a leader, you have to be able to do that on a grander scale because that's, you're, you're getting that from internally and externally, right? There's so many um, no's that you will hear internally that you have to kind of push back because it's for the greater good of your team critical thinking skills, which it seems like very basic, but, you know, you'd be surprised of how people cannot kind of read the situation and understand, you know, what are people's motivations and agendas? And then how do you, you know, work them to a common agenda or at least be neutral and not detract from your, from your agenda. 
And empathy, right? Really caring about your team and, and the people. Um, and the and that could be even as an account executive, right? Caring about the, the team that gets the job done every day, not just kind of pushing and shoveling crap over to individuals, but really caring about them is, I think, the, the characteristics if I had to narrow it down to a few. Well, we'd love to wrap up with a question we ask everybody, and we have never had a duplicate answer on this yet. Yeah, that's true. So I'm curious, Angelique, how would you describe sales in one word? Endurance. Yeah, that is a new that one. That is too. a new one. Yeah, yeah. I love it. <laughs> I kind of really look forward to this question, if I'm being honest. I love, uh, I love what people come up with. Well, Angelique, you are truly phenomenal, and you know, you gave us and our listeners a, a ton to think about. And so I just want to say thank you for joining us, and thanks for sharing your expertise. Thank you for having me. It was great. Thanks so much, great Angelique. Questions. Take care. Bye. See you later. Every week we bring you a micro action. It can be as simple as something to think about or an action you can put into play today. The concept and importance of mentors is really nothing new, but a lot of people struggle with how to find a mentor of their own. So we're giving you four tips on how to secure a mentor in 2020. Number one, before you go out and find your mentor, do some self-reflection to figure out what areas you want to further develop or refine. Number two, find somebody who has these skills and a proven track record. So you'll want to look at their experience and accomplishments. Number three, reach out, keep it short and to the point and be super clear on what you're trying to achieve with this new relationship. Email is totally fine, but you are trying to build a personal relationship. So phone or in person is even better. And number four, give back. Even if the answer is nothing, you want to ask how you can give back to your mentor. You never know how you can reciprocate. They'll greatly appreciate that your mind is in a place of giving instead of only getting something from this interaction. So here's to improvement and growth all year long. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.